Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. It's really good to be here this morning. Uh, thanks for introducing me. Uh, it's really funny, I didn't connect uh, that Steve was Ash's dad. Because uh, I know Ash from, uh, from youth, of course. And so then I'm just putting all these names to faces and, and seeing people around. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know you guys. So some of you might recognize me, but um, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm here this morning with my family. Yes, my daughter comes up and might come up throughout the service <laughs> and say hi. My wife, April's over in the corner. And we've got an a almost three-year-old Maxana and a nine-month-old Amos. And so we're right in the midst of that young family stage, uh, which is set with its own challenges, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I love my basketball. I've played that a lot. Uh, James is here this morning. He normally plays with me. Um, but I'm also like a skateboarder. I'm a guitarist. I, I lead worship um, at Barker. Uh, I love board games and role-playing stuff and video games and all those types of things. I'm a real big people person. But most importantly for me, I'm a passionate follower of Jesus. That's what's really essential for my heart and what I love to talk about and love to kind of breathe in and out. I really love the Bible. I'm interested in church history and school ministry, and I really want to see people come to know Jesus. And then as they become his disciples, then they themselves be built up in the faith by the Holy Spirit and then share that with the world. And so I'm really honoured here this morning to share God's Word uh, from Acts. I did not realise that I was the last person in the Acts series. I feel the pressure this morning. I'm feeling it. Um, and we've been doing the series as well at Barker, but we're like weeks behind <laughs> so, because we've been you know, going in and out, doing some other things across that space. Um, but I'm, it's great to be here and... Normally, I'm across at Barker in the morning, so I feel very blessed that I'm able to be with you this morning. So let me pray as we get into our message. Lord, you are here amongst us, and your spirit is within each of us. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear. May uh, what I've prepared just fall to the ground, and may you speak to us through me. I'm your servant, Lord. Amen. So, we're in Acts, Acts Ablaze, Hearts Ablaze series, and we've been doing this for a little bit, and now we're in chapter 19, 20, that surrounds, that's kind of where we're at, that's where we're finishing. Acts obviously continues for a little bit. But here in this section, we have like quite a few stories, quite a few. Um, and I was going to get somebody to read uh, one of them, I believe. Um, so bef before we get into that, this, this part, this period of time, is Paul's like third missionary journey. He's set out, he's come back, and we're all based in Ephesus. So let me uh, just call up our Bible reader, and then, uh, yeah, it'll be great to have. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> So we're reading from Acts chapter 19, we're doing verse 1, verse 8 to 10, and 23 to 28. 
Alrighty, Acts chapter 19. I'm reading from the NIV as well. So Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Verse 8 to 10. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And 23 to 28. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the people of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. How good. Thank you. That's good. Good reading. It's an amazing story. I encourage you to read this whole section uh, right now, but there's so much in there. There's like 20 sermons. But we're just focusing on this this morning. And that I feel that God wants to speak to us about the countercultural conflict that the gospel brings. Yeah? The countercultural conflict. Because this is what it means to be a Christian it means to say that Christ is. Lord, which means that everything else isn't. Everything else. There can only be one king of your heart, only one who can, you can give your ultimate allegiance to. And if we're faithful Christians, that is Jesus. He is our Savior and Messiah. He came to earth in humility, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, and he will come back again in victory. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of everything to the glory of the church. It's from Ephesians 1. So how does this work when we live in the world? How does this work? Because the world that surrounds us does not give Jesus his due. Jesus is not number one in the world. He is hopefully number one in the church and in our lives. They don't have those same values and instead put other things first and replace God in his, in his, where he's meant to be. For those of us who believe this is great news, this is really good news, but for those which reject the gospel, the go- it is a threat. This is dangerous to them. So here we have this conflict, this countercultural conflict that arises where the gospel is shared and spread out into community. And it's responded with opposition, hostility, and chaos. There is conflict from out in the world. 
But for us redeemed sinners, as First Peter puts it, we are God's elect exiles scattered throughout the world. And in this space, we are to be in the world, but not of it, which is from John 17. There's this personal wrestle for us. How do we live faithfully to Jesus where he leads me to be in community? How do we as a church represent him and witness to those around us, evangelize to those who do not believe where we're called? And then interwoven throughout these narratives as you read the whole of these chapters, you'll also see these little hints and these little snapshots of the spirit on the move. Now, this is a long period of time. This is the longest period of time that Paul stays in a place. And so this is a really big, like, zoom out picture. And so these are the highlights which come to mind. There's these snapshots of the Spirit moving powerfully. And so for us, I just want to encourage us this morning. We need to reckon with this conflict. But we also need to celebrate the Spirit and be encouraged by what God is doing amongst us. So, in Acts, all this space, ever since we meet Paul and he heads out on his missionary journeys, he's interacting with the Roman world. So he first speaks to the Jews and then he speaks to the Gentiles. Now, if you're anything like me, I like to think about like music playlists and kind of getting into that type of space. And one of those tracks which would be coming up all the time as we read through uh, the second half of Acts would be uh, one of my favorite songs by the Kaiser Chiefs called I Predict a Riot, which is exactly what happens multiple times. And this is just one example. It's an amazing uh, story, which we can read later on in greater depth. But I really want to get into Ephesus. Ephesus is a really important city in our scriptures. We kind of don't realize it, but it's, it's highlighted here in Acts. We have a letter which Paul writes to it. He actually writes two more letters which have to do with Ephesus. Ephesus, oh, struggle on that one. And that's First and Second Timothy. Timothy was there leading that church. Also, Ephesus and its surrounds are named in Revelation. So it's got all of these references. It's, it's all throughout this space. We don't really kind of have a good picture of what's happening in Ephesus. What's kind of going on? So I want to get into this context a little bit because it's important. It's a large city of almost at its heyday, highest. Some people think it could have 200,000 people. This is really big. It's the biggest city in, um, in the area. And its main attraction and focus of, uh, of the entire city, basically, was the Temple of Artemis, which we can jump up on the screen here. So as Sydney is known for the Opera House... Ephesus was known for this temple. This is a picture from DK's encyclopedia. Now, it is massive. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it is huge. It's four times larger than the, um, uh, than the temple in Athens, the Parthenon, which we can kind of see. And it is elaborate. This is a really good picture. You can kind of see those little things at the bottom there. Those are people in scale. There's like over 120 pillars in that space, and it is the center of this town. It has a massive statue of this goddess Artemis in there, as well as marketplaces, money, and worship. The whole religious space was all in there. This Greek goddess, sometimes called Diana, 
was a fertility goddess and was claimed as queen of the heavens. She was called saviour and was associated with protection, both of the city, but also from evil spirits, illness and misfortune. And probably this all started because they found a meteorite that somehow resembled a woman and then sculpted it and made it into something else. And it became a place of worship. And this happened all throughout Greece, and this spread all throughout, which is now modern-day Turkey. This whole area was like saturated worship of this. And this temple, this religion, was so central for like everything of the Ephesians. It was their banking and economic center. Kings would come from across the land to store their wealth in this temple. It was part of their daily life. They had two pageants and processions throughout the city each week. Each week. Her image was on coins, and a month of the year was named after her. Sports and games were held in her honor. A festival which had lavish parties. Roman, you can get the context. We've got kids in the room, so maybe I won't mention that aspect. But you can understand all that's kind of happening here. This was everywhere. She was so important that the Roman emperor, which usually has like a whole temple to himself, has a shrine within this space. It was more important than the emperor in this city. And it's to this context, it's to this that the gospel comes. It's to this that Paul steps out in faith and says, God is leading me here to proclaim the good news and establish the church. This is the battle which he was up against. This is what he was facing. This was surely in his mind and it's like looming over him almost. And so he follows his normal narrative. He starts in the synagogue. He starts with the Jews and he speaks there actually for quite a long time. Normally, he doesn't last quite three months. Normally, he gets kicked out earlier. But he was doing a good job. He was, he was bringing people to Jesus. People gave their lives to Jesus in this space. It was awesome. But then, of course, he had opposition. So then he went out into the marketplace. He went into a town hall. Maybe something like this. And there with the rest of the believers and disciples, he proclaimed the good news in the public spaces daily. He was pleading. He was everywhere. He was just wanting them to know God, know Jesus. And he stayed there for two years, and there was heaps of impact. Everyone heard the good news of the gospel in this region. It actually became his base of operations, and he sends out Timothy and others, to go and evangelize the, the, uh, the towns around him and establish churches. That's who the seven churches are, which Revelation is addressed to. The church is planted from Ephesus. And it's amazing what happens in this space. But of course, here comes the conflict. He had to face this. And we know from the rest of Acts, which I know you've been preaching on, John's been doing a good job, there comes a point where you have to call out the idols. You have to then address what's going on. Because this is such an obvious space where Christians just can't really engage. They have to reject and turn towards the Lord. You can't have two kings. Someone has to rule. And so Paul was arguing and pleading with them. 
that they would give their allegiance to Jesus. And this is where we come to that section which we've read, the riot which arises. So from verse 23, at that time, there was a great disturbance in the way. If you're a bit of a nerd like me, you might be like, the way? Are we talking about like the Mandalorian, Star Wars? No, we're talking about the Christian way of life. It was what was called, was the way. It was obviously impacting in how they were living. And a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis and brought in a lot of business. He was flustered and heckled by it. So let me just put up an image of Artemis here for us. This is what he was making out of silver. This is the image that they were worshipping. It's very weird. <laughs> it's kind of gross. As I said, fertility goddess makes sense. Now, what we need to realize is that what they were doing is he was selling these in the marketplace, and it was his main source of business. Actually, it was the main economic space for the entire town. It was all based around Artemis worship. He was making it out of silver. They had people making it out of clay. They had people sculpting it into marble and rocks and all that type of stuff. It was all about this. And he, Demetrius here, recognizes and is true in when he says that the gospel is a threat to this. And he points out that Paul says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And he stirs up that riot which turns into, into a chaotic mob that heads to this theater, which is also I can check up on the screen here. This is the theater which they go to. It seats 25,000 people. It's huge. It's massive. Sometimes we forget that what we're engaging with in our scriptures is grounded in places. This is real, right? This happened. You can see the street which leads to the old harbor, which definitely would have been full of this riot coming towards this space. There was another street which goes off towards the left there, which would have pulled all these people in. The Temple of Artemis is if you're looking at it, back behind you, like a good, oh, like 500 meters. Like, this would have, like, gathered all these people, and they captured um, two of Paul's traveling companions who were faithful and obviously preaching the gospel, and they grabbed them and brought them in there. And it was just an unreasonable mess. There was confusion everywhere. Everyone's shouting stuff. Some people don't even know what's happening. They're just kind of getting going with the flow along for the ride. And they just get swept up. In verse 30, we see that Paul wanted to appear before the crowd and try and calm them down, maybe defend himself, maybe preach the gospel, maybe proclaim the truth like he did at Athens and in so many other places. But his disciples would not let him because it was so dangerous. They probably would have killed him. Even some of the officials of the province who were friends of Paul sent him messages begging him not to venture into the theater. That's 31. Thankfully, Rome wants order and peace. So if you disturb these things, they want to punish you. And so they really like calmed it down. They sorted it out themselves within their own town leadership. But it's really interesting that the Rome in the world wants to do this by force. It wants to do this by the sword. But God brings order and peace by his spirit. And the thing is, Demetrius is actually right. 
The gospel is a threat to idolatry. The worship of other gods or demons, putting anything in the place of God, is dangerous for us. It is. And the countercultural conflict that arises is, well, where, does my, where do I give my allegiance? Where am I actually going to direct my life? Because if I'm a Christian, it actually has to look different to the world around me. We can't actually just fit in automatically without even thinking. It's the heart of Romans, the letter which Paul writes. We can't just go here and be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. We would look different. Our priorities are different. How we live is different. Simply just how we walk in prayer is different. And so we have to wrestle with this reality. We have to reckon with how this looks in our personal lives. And that means that we have to reject obvious sin. Anything which supplants God as as the center of our lives. So if there's any obvious occult, anything kind of in that space, which is broad, we need to like push that away from us. We need to outrightly get that away. Because if we let the Satan take a foothold, if we give him space, he'll use it to devour us. He'll use it to bring a riot into our own lives. He will bring chaos and he'll try and destroy us. But sometimes we feel like we can just keep that away but it, and like with our own power, but then it just distracts us from God, distracts us. We need to use the power of the Spirit who's flowing and doing powerful things. That's how we resist this space. Sometimes we see ourselves, rightly, quite rightly, on the receiving end of this attack. The world is out, out and moving and it's dangerous and that is true. But I think for us, and I think it's evident in the rest of the gospel here, that sometimes we find ourselves actually more so on Demetrius' side. I know for myself, sometimes when I'm faced with God's call, he has to drag me along kicking and screaming as I resist and as I get brought into his kingdom more and more, as I deal with what's these things. This is why in 1 Timothy... Remember, he's in Ephesus. Uh, in 6.10 it says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This was a battle for the town. This is a battle for us. God's generosity, what he calls us to, being generous, versus Greed. This section, I I have it on multiple t-shirts actually, because it's really important for us in the West to get this. When it's talking about the love of money, he uses the word mammon, which is a God, the God of money. If we replace God with money, it leads to all types of destructive behaviors. And I'm sorry to say that we have done this in the West. So much of our lives are based around consumerism in this capitalist society. Who I am is what I own, whether it's my house or my interests, whether it's my job and how much money I make, which determines my worth, whether it's the clothes that I buy. It becomes about who we are here. We give our allegiance so easily to mammon, to money. We get ourselves consumed with greed, 
We need to get more. I need to receive more. I'm worried about what it is for myself. I need to get and get and get. It's about me. But we notice that the heart of God and what God calls us to is generosity. It is giving, not receiving, because we've received everything in Jesus. We have more riches than what the world could ever give us, and yet we still stray and seek the dollar. This is a conflict for us. But it's not just that. It's really obvious for the, for the Ephesians, this battle is so upfront. They have those images everywhere. But for us, it might be a bit more subtle. Yes, there's money, but there's also the other two, sex and power. We seek, we seek to have our own authority. We misplace and misuse sex in our society. Sometimes it might be other things, patriotism. It might be identity, where we place who we are. It might be fame, how popular we are, what, we, what other people think of us. I think in Australia, if I, if I be so bold, we spend a lot of time misplacing maybe sport above God. Let's maybe just think in the last couple of weeks... How much discussion we've had, maybe in our churches, maybe amongst our friends, about uh, a goal which wasn't a goal and, uh, <laughs> and how the Matildas lost. <laughs> there was so much discussion in that space. We spent so much time dedicated there. And I love basketball. Like, I get it. Uh, truly, I do. The Raptors won like a couple of years ago. I was all about it. But is that replacing our focus? Are we given away? Are we, are we really sold out for Jesus? Or are we instead giving our allegiance and focus to other things instead of him? It doesn't just have to be sport. It could be, it's other spaces of entertainment as well. TVs and movies, all that type of stuff. Social media, keeping up with trends. We need to remember to say that Jesus is Lord means that everything else just isn't. It can't compete. All those types of things. One of the things which I, I really challenge about myself is I look at how much I watch. I watch a lot of YouTube, so you can kind of keep track of like the hours spent on there. Like how much time am I giving to this, all of that stuff, versus how much time am I giving to Jesus? How much time am I receiving from the Word? How much time am I spending in the community of God? How much time am I speaking to friends about Jesus? Or just being here in the church, worshipping? Where's that balance lie? We need to remember that our everyday act of worship is just honouring Him, giving everything and using everything for His glory. But we tend to forget that when we leave the church. And then so easily we fall away and then elevate any, anything and everything else. There can only be one king of your heart. Now, I want to mention that around this space, around this conflict, and maybe at the center of this conflict, we see that God is moving in powerful ways. His spirit is at work. In the surrounding chapters here, uh, we see baptisms, 
gifts of the spirits, people speaking in tongues and prophesying, many giving their lives to Christ, actually so many from all diverse places of life. In the city, you have leaders of that city who gave their allegiance to Jesus. You have slaves, you have Greek, you have Jew, you have male, female. Everyone was giving their life to God. And in response, there was extraordinary miracles. There were healing, there was exorcisms. And there was some weird stuff happening. But in this space, the name of the Lord Jesus was held high in honor. One of the examples which which happens in the space is in verse 18. Many of those who believed came and openly confessed what they were done. And a number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And Paul loves this stuff because he's all about like, you know, writing. He writes two massive books. And he says that they've calculated the value of the scrolls and it came to 50,000 drachmas. This was huge. This was a fortune. And so in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Interwoven with these narratives of conflict, the Spirit is moving in power, doing miraculous things. And Luke wants to highlight what the Spirit is doing in here so we remember what our focus actually is. See, our focus isn't actually on the conflict. We need to deal with that and make decisions, yeah, sure. But our focus should be on the Spirit. We should be celebrating the Spirit and what He has done amongst us. It's precisely in these moments of conflict, when we have the eyes that God has, that we see that God was protecting them even in that riot. God protects them even in death. As he, as he brings us into new creation. And it's exciting. There's great comfort in this space that we recognize, oh man, God is doing awesome things. The church was planted and grew and spread out everywhere in this area. And it's just exploding. It's amazing. We can take great heart in our church today as you guys are here in this church plant, knowing that there is conflict, knowing that there are battles, but we can join in this celebration of the Spirit moving here and outwards into the community. I'm so excited to hear about what you guys are going to do around Christmas. So many people come through. What an awesome space to share the gospel. How exciting that the Spirit is on the move. And that we get to like celebrate Christmas openly and for Jesus in this space. Isn't that just amazing? We can celebrate the Spirit moving here. And this is why later on in Acts 20, Paul comes back and he's really cut because he knows that he's going to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And he wants to encourage the elders. So he calls them all together. And in part of his speech, he says this in Acts 20, 23 to 24. He says, I know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That is the task which we are given. That is where we are set. We're here to share the gospel. We have to actually engage in these conflict places. Because as soon as we're, we're here, as soon as we're preaching out, 
we are entering into this conflict as well. But we, as we've sung earlier this today, we don't actually fight the battle. But God does. Jesus is victorious. And so we can walk in that space in confidence because we know and we can celebrate in our hearts that we have the Spirit within us and we can walk out and be, be calm and have peace knowing that God is in control ultimately and that He is at work and He is doing mighty things. That is where our focus is. So that's where our hearts should be as well. Come and if you want to come up and, and play. This is why in in Philippians 4, Paul says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. These are things of God and of the Spirit. Let's focus on Him. And whatever you have learned or received and heard from me and seen, put into practice. And then the God of peace will be with you. The message for us this morning is really clear. We are in this space of cross-cultural conflict in the world because we are following God's call. We are out in the marketplace. We are in the town hall. And so we are facing that. But we can walk with confidence and have our focus not on that because we know that God wins the battle but instead on the excellent things that the Spirit is doing. We can be encouraged as we walk into this space, as we are surrounded by the community of believers that is the church, that we can take our stand and we can face those things. But we know that God has us in the palm of His hand. We can run this race And we can do the task that God has given each of us, the Lord Jesus, that we testify to the good news, no matter what comes. Because we need to reject everything else so that Jesus is our number one. May that be in us this morning. May we acknowledge that Jesus is King of our lives. And may we celebrate the movement of the Spirit that comes in that space. Let me pray before we come up and worship and respond. Why don't you stand with me? God, this same battle, this same conflict that was back there in Acts is here for us today. Lord, may your Spirit empower us just as it did back then. May your Spirit flow May we know and have the confidence of the gospel and the peace that comes with it. May we make our stand, but may we be comforted and encouraged and may we celebrate in what you are doing. Be with us, Lord, and help us, I pray. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.